As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Our first lesson comes from the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is strong as death, passion fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, a raging flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. If one offered for love all the wealth of one's house, it would be utterly scorned. And from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one. In Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In 1976, Barbara Jordan, a congresswoman from Texas, became the first African-American woman to deliver the keynote address at the Democratic National Convention. By that time, Jordan was accustomed to breaking barriers. She was the first African-American elected to the Texas Senate after Reconstruction and the first African-American woman elected to the U.S. House of Representatives. She was also one of the first lesbians to serve in either office, but that was still a well-kept secret. Jordan had become a national figure when she made a televised opening statement at the House Judiciary Committee hearings during the Nixon impeachment process. Some even believed that in the 1970s she had a shot at the presidency. But in the end, that was not to be. Jordan opened her keynote address to the Democratic National Convention with a reflection on the 144-year history of the convention, in which every four years, members of the Democratic Party gathered to choose a presidential candidate and to set the party platform. But this year, she said, there is something different, something special. I, Barbara Jordan, she said, and the keynote speaker. With that statement, the crowd filling the stadium went absolutely wild, cheering and clapping. When the bedlam died down, Jordan continued, My presence here is one additional bit of evidence that the American dream need not forever be deferred. To watch the footage of that speech, you can find it on YouTube, of course. Even though the picture is grainy, and the audio doesn't quite line up with the video, you can tell something important is happening. If a black, gay woman's voice was not just heard, but amplified and encouraged and cheered on at a national convention, 
clearly a tectonic shift in American politics was taking place. But Jordan was not naive about the challenges that she and her country faced in 1976. We are a people in a quandary about the present and in search of our future, she said. A people not only trying to solve the problems of the present, but attempting at a larger scale to fulfill the promises of America, to create and sustain a society in which all of us are equal. Jordan was speaking about the challenges of living and governing in America, but her words reflect the task to which God's people, the task to which we have been and always will be called, to work to fulfill the promises not of humans or of nations, but of God. And the promises of God are that the forces that divide God's children, forces of injustice, inequality, and prejudice, these forces will be overturned, not by power and might, but by love and mercy. The Bible is full of stories that reveal the failure of humanity to fulfill this calling and stories which show the lengths to which God will go to set us and the whole world right. You might be surprised to hear that one such story unfolds in the book called The Song of Solomon. It would be easy enough to ask what this book is doing in the Bible, since it appears to be a description of a steamy love affair. But one of the things that happens in this book is a reversal of a long-standing, deep-seated inequality, the inequality between men and women that can be traced back to the book of Genesis. One of the punishments for Eve giving Adam the apple is that women are subjugated to men. Your desire shall be for your husband, God tells the woman, and he shall rule over you. But in the Song of Solomon, The woman says boldly to her lover, My beloved is mine and I am his, thus restoring men and women to the equal partnership God intended them to have. This is a book which declares inequality is not aligned with the promises of God, and we will tolerate it no longer. We see this kind of overturning and restoring again in the life and ministry of Jesus, who constantly reaches out to those who've been marginalized and devalued and returns them to their rightful place in God's community, proclaiming in word and in deed that such injustice would be tolerated no longer. We see it in the conversion of Saul, who was first a zealous rule follower determined to persecute the followers of Jesus, but who became the most dedicated and passionate of Christ's apostles after his encounter with the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. In that brief encounter, the risen Christ overturned Saul's understanding of who God is and who God's people are, changing him so profoundly that he took a new name, Paul. 
the Apostle Paul proclaimed to Gentiles throughout the Roman world that the promises of God were promises for them as well as for the Jews. He proclaimed to them again and again that because of God's love revealed in Jesus Christ, love that is stronger even than death, you are outsiders no longer. As a rule-following Jew, the Apostle Paul knew that the ritual by which Jewish children were brought into the faith was circumcision, a ritual reserved only for boys. Paul knew the daily prayer uttered by Jewish men thanking God for not creating them a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul boldly overturns this understanding, proclaiming that the new ritual of baptism, a ritual available to all of God's children, reveals that no matter our gender or station or citizenship, we all belong to God. We are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul argues that baptism changes everything, or more accurately, it reorients everything, restoring it to the way it is meant to be. Because of our baptism, we do not define ourselves by the family we are born into. Because of our baptism, we do not judge one another more or less worthy or capable because of race or gender or any outward identifier. Because of our baptism, we are divided no longer. Baptism means that no matter who we are or what we look like or who we love, we are no longer different or other or better or worse. Because of our baptism, each one of us is unconditionally loved and infinitely worthy. Because of our baptism, we are one in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Like the Apostle Paul, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. envisioned a world where the categories of identity, race, nationality, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, age, socioeconomic status, education, or any other category you can think of, he imagined a world where these categories did not determine a person's value or self-worth or the opportunities they were afforded. King envisioned a world where dreams would be deferred or denied no longer. In his I Have a Dream speech in Washington, D.C. in August of 1963, King spoke of the fierce urgency of now. Now is the time to rise from the dark and desolate valley of segregation to the sunlit path of racial justice, he said. Now is the time to lift our nation from the quicksands of racial injustice to the solid rock of brotherhood. Now is the time to make justice a reality for all of God's children. It would be fatal, he said for the nation to overlook the urgency of the moment. The Apostle Paul was also convinced of the fierce urgency of now. 
He knew that the promises of God revealed in Jesus Christ changed everything now. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or citizen. There is no longer man or woman. We are one now. 2,000 years after Paul wrote those words, 57 years after MLK's famous speech, 45 years after Barbara Jordan spoke at the Democratic National Convention, and 12 years after our first black president was sworn into office, our country and our world are once again confronted with issues demanding our attention with the fierce urgency of now. Now, during a global pandemic that has disproportionately affected the poor and people of color. Now, when cell phone cameras mean we cannot look away from police brutality and misconduct. Now, when young people gather together and demand that we come clean about bigotry and prejudice and the lie of white supremacy so that we can do the hard work of creating a country where all people truly are considered equal and are given the same opportunities for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This has never just been a civil experiment. For we who are followers of Jesus, this is our mandate now. Now, we are called to fulfill the promise of the kingdom of God by saying, no longer. We will tolerate these distortions of God's promises no longer. Every one of us has the fire of love and compassion in our souls. For we are the beloved children of the living God created in God's own image. We have the power of God, power to overcome hate with love, to overcome prejudice with compassion, to transform inequality into equity, so that all God's children may have their gifts stifled and their dreams deferred no longer. Thirteen years after King's speech in Washington, Barbara Jordan made her speech at the Democratic National Convention. In that speech, she reminded her listeners what happens when we fail to recognize our common identity. She said this, Many fear the future. Many are distrustful of their leaders and believe that their voices are never heard. But a spirit of harmony will survive in America only if each of us remembers that we share a common destiny. If each of us remembers when self-interest and bitterness seem to prevail that we share a common destiny, we are a generous people, she said. So why can't we be generous with each other? But this is the great danger America faces, that we will cease to be one nation and become instead a collection of interest groups city against suburb, region against region, individual against individual, each seeking to satisfy private wants. If that happens, who then will speak for America? 
Who then will speak for the common good? Forty-five years later, in the midst of a global pandemic and protests for racial equity, this is still the great danger we face. It is the great danger humanity faces in our government, in our schools, in our churches, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. Who will speak for the common good? Who will remind us of our shared destiny? Remember the words of the Apostle Paul in Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek, no longer Christian or Muslim or Jew or Hindu, no longer Democrat or Republican, no longer liberal or conservative, no longer male or female or transgender or cisgender, no longer immigrant or refugee or migrant or citizen, no longer, no longer, no longer. We are one. We belong to God, and we belong to each other. This is the promise of God. May we claim it as our own and use the gifts God has given us to restore our world and to gather one another into the beloved community God longs for us to be. Amen.